Welcome back to the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, where I explore gentle, positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. I'm Kim Cameron Smith, and this is episode 14. Back in episodes three and four, I talked about toddler and preschool uh, preschooler tantrums. It was a two-parter. In one show, I looked at why toddlers and preschoolers have tantrums. And then in the second show, um, I explained um, some effective ways to handle tantrums. So a couple parents have mentioned since uh, the, those shows that they'd like to hear something about tantrums and their and older kids, because older kids do have tantrums. So how we know why do they have tantrums and how do we handle tantrums effectively for them? So first of all, what's a tantrum? It's an uncontrolled outward display of anger or frustration. That's actually the dictionary uh, definition. Yes, our toddlers do have uh, uncontrolled outward displays of anger or frustration, but so do our older kids. So how are they different? And just to review what I said in that first show, remember that in small children and toddlers and preschoolers, a tantrum is nearly always the result of their immature brain development. They're genuinely out of their minds because the freak out part of the brain has taken over and the rational part of the brain is offline. So they're only, um, they're, they get overwhelmed or frustrated, their feelings well up and they explode and they don't have the ability to kind of talk themselves down like we do because the prefrontal cortex, the higher rational brain is offline at that point. So little children just, they don't have the ability to rationalize um, when they're overwhelmed and upset like that that requires integrative functioning and they will not have integrative functioning until they're five to seven years old. So around five to seven, give or take, integrative functioning improves in kids. So in your older kids, you'll see that they um, start gaining this capacity to control their outburst when they're upset. And, and why is that? Oh, and they also develop a conscience. They have a conscience about right and wrong, which is why the church often, um, you know, around seven is when kids can have their first confession. So at this age, they might have a surge of emotions and feel like they want to have a tantrum or lash out or, you know, scream or spit on somebody or hit somebody. But they have this ability to, to, to think again. They have second thoughts. So they think, I want to hit, but I love her, but I don't want to hurt her, or I know it's wrong to hurt others. So this capacity to, um, so this is when self, um, self-control comes in and emotional regulation begins in about five to seven years old. That you'll notice them gaining and it'll increase with time. They be become better and better able to um, control their outbursts when they're upset. So if they're able to do this, why do they have tantrums? What is the deal? Well, just having the potential for self-control doesn't mean you'll always have it. Some older kids and teenagers and even grown-ups have meltdowns because we become overwhelmed. We're, we get, you know, and why is that? Just think about in your own life, like maybe you're getting sick or you're, you're really tired or you're hungry 
and your coping, um, your ability to cope decreases. That is just the way toddlers are. I call it the freak out threshold. So we, we all have like a freak out threshold. So on our best days, our freak out threshold is pretty, you know, high in grownups. So we can kind of take a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, rude drivers before we lose it. Well, if we pass our freak out threshold, we, we, we kind of just break. We don't have um, an ability. We don't really have the second guessing ability. We don't care like what the parenting books say. We just act from our lower brain, just like a toddler does. So that happens not only when you're not feeling well or when you're overly tired or whatever, but also just when, um, you know, you're just, for whatever reason, something sets you off. So you have to kind of know yourself and know where your threshold is. So anyway, so how do we handle distress? These are, so this is a distress tantrum. I should have said that. So little kids, the toddlers and preschoolers, what they're um, having is a distress tantrum. Older kids can also have distress tantrums and we as adults can have distress tantrums. What do we call them? We say we're having a meltdown or we're just having a bad day. <laughs> but often we're having a, um, a tantrum if you look at the definition of a tantrum. So how do we handle distress tantrums in older kids? Well, probably kind of the same way you handle them in a toddler you coach them and how to handle their big emotions before they erupt. And the great thing is because these kids are more rational, you know, it's, it's much more fruitful. So we can give them strategies for how they can keep it together as they're, if they are approaching their freak out threshold, what can they do so they don't erupt? And as part of this, of course, we want to explain to them you know, like that we treat one another with love, that we should, you know, honor other people's bodies. We don't hurt other people's bodies, but we also have compassion for them because if we can have meltdowns, we understand how they can. It doesn't excuse the behavior, but we're just trying to um, give them strategies. So talk with them about, um, you know, when they're in a good place, way before the um, tantrum comes you know, when things are going well, what do they, when they're um, really sort of revved up, what does your child do? Do they tend to do physical things like running around, hitting or whatever, then give them a physical outlet, like jumping on a trampoline. One of my kids, when he um, was a young elementary kid, I would let him ball up wads of newspaper and I would let him throw them around or whatever it just like he could run off some energy or whatever other kids are more contemplative so they might want to journal or they might want to draw they might want to go for a walk they might want to cuddle with an animal so these are things strategies we can give them and what are we doing we are empowering them to be in charge of their actions we're giving them the ability to be in charge of their actions if they have a tantrum, the tantrum is not the time to be doing this coaching because they're not receiving what you're saying. After the tantrum happens, you know, you can empathize. I know you were tired. You didn't want to scream like that. Well, I get tired sometimes and I struggle to be respectful. If your relationship is in good shape, 
you can do some virtue training. You can talk about what which virtues were missing. And so do start with empathizing. I always like to look at what were the positive intentions. Like very rarely is a ki- kids get themselves into all sort of pickles. Like they get into a pickle and they think, oh my gosh, how did how did I get here? So even when they do the wrong thing, I try to see the positive intention underneath. So even if the, you know, if one of my kids gets upset and, um, you know, throws down a pencil or something to say that, you know, that that spelling test is, you know, really frustrating you. That is really frustrating. And so I start with empathizing, but I always follow up with a little virtue training. I get it. I get frustrated too. You know, throwing the pencil down is not the best idea. You know, pencils are a gift and we should take care of the gifts God has given us and um you know give them a little a little um virtue training think of the virtues that often are missing in um our actions when we have a meltdown or a tantrum patience humility love love of neighbor love of neighbor and even love of self we're missing those virtues so just do a little coaching with your kids and those virtues here's the big thing here is what is very different about uh, tantrums and older kids they are not like a little kid is almost always having the distress tantrum and an older kid often it is what uh, Margot Sunderland one of my favorite um, parenting writers she calls these little neuro tantrums this is where the child um, is trying to control the parent through tantrums they might throw a fit when the parent says no to something. This is often one of the triggers. Why do they do this? Well, Margot Sunderland thinks that that the child is doing it because he has learned that he can get what he wants from doing them, doing the, uh, having the tantrum. So he basically has learned in the past that the tantrum gets what he wants. So he repeats the behavior. Okay, again, I love Margot Sunderland, and she is has a PhD in psychology. I do not, but we all um, we we all have in we all have like an intuition, and my intuition immediately tells me there may be more going on here than just like I guess it's it's surely it's true. Sometimes kids learn that they can get what they want from having a tantrum, so they repeat the behavior. Um, it's a this is a behaviorist lens that she's using which surprises me because she's um has so many you know empathic approaches to dealing with behavior and raising children but a behaviorist is looking at the child's behavior as merely uh, a conditioned response to rewards and punishments right so if you increase the rewards for the desired behavior and withdraw rewards and impose consequences for undesired be undesired undesired behavior uh you can shape the child's behavior so the problem i have with behaviorist approaches it's kind of complex but um basically i think the long-term damage from these approaches it far outweighs the benefit so that would be another show i'm trying to be very disciplined and stay within the 20 minutes for so you can go off and be with your family. But um, basically, that's the problem. The, lo- the long-term damage, it far outweighs the benefits. I cringe when I think about um, 
when people talk about kids like they're lab rats, you know, I, I would train my dog with the rewards and punishments, but um, my kids are too important to me to treat them this way. I mean, yes, I want my children to be decent human beings who don't annoy or hurt others, but because they are human, I also want them to flourish emotionally and psychologically. And my children can become decent human beings without being trained with treats and zaps like some kind of rat. Okay, so that's why I don't really like this idea that, you know, um, the kid, I mean, I guess it's she, she could be right in some sense, but I tend to uh, kind of um, back away from behaviorist interpretations of uh, children's behavior. Now, the thing that immediately comes to my mind when I hear about kids, like kids who have these little neuro tantrums, they are very bossy, controlling. And I just took a class on alpha kids. About probably eight months ago, I took a Gordon Neufeld's intensive one. It's a big, very long class. And one, it's a course with, there's actually 20 sessions and then there were 20 breakout sessions and others, it was, it was um, wonderful. And one lecture was on alpha kids. And it was so fascinating that I actually took a follow-up course that focused solely on alpha kids. So listen to this. I think you will appreciate it. And it's so relevant to what we're talking about. Okay, so let me just give a little, what am I talking about? A parent and her child, they engage naturally in a dance of caregiving and dependence. Caregiving and dependence. The, the parent caregives and the child depends on the caregiving. God in his wisdom, he has built into our children a natural desire to depend on us to get his needs met, to lean into us for care. And he's built into us a natural desire to be the answer to our child's needs and to invite our child to lean on us. You can see then that the parent-child relationship is by nature hierarchical with the parent providing the care and the child depending on the parent. This dependence allows our children to be at rest emotionally so they can mature. So I've talked before about this rest, that children need to be at rest so they can get on with maturing. And this is one of the things, they need to be in that dependent mode in order to be at rest. Our instinct to provide care for our children is a healthy alpha instinct in us. We naturally, we take the lead, we meet our child's needs, the attachment needs that I've talked about before for physical proximity, for sameness, right? The six needs we um we take the lead we meet our child's attachment needs and we guide them in the direction they need to go and our children should never feel they need to do that for us we are always in the lead with our children whereas in our relationship with our spouse there's also a dependent alpha dynamic but it's reciprocal and we go back and forth sometimes you know i i um caregive for philip i do special things for him i feed him other times he caregives for me right so we go back and forth but with the child it's not like that it's always hierarchical but 
some children move into the alpha position with the parents. There's many problems that um, come from this. But um, one of the problems is these kind of little neuro tantrums that they're prescriptive, bossy, screaming, demanding. They are the parent. They are calling the shots. They're very hard to parent. Even if they're not screaming and yelling, this is one interesting thing I learned. Some alpha children are not, I think of alpha kids as the bossy, you know, um, dominating kid, but if you, you can also just, the child can also just disengage from you and not be, they do not care what you say. They have no interest in what you, your opinions are. They don't care if you punish them. They're not screaming at you. So that's kind of like outside of the context that we're talking about. But just to kind of complete the thought, they won't let you feed them. They will not follow your household rules and they do not care what you say. And kids become this way for two reasons. Um, kids become this way, it's, it's called alpha by default. And this, there are many, many ways that a kid comes um, becomes alpha by default. Sometimes it's because the parent has been chronically ill for a long time and the child feels like they need to take care of the parent or um, uh, more often it's because the parent has been too passive too permissive, has had like an egalitarian um, approach to parenting the child. They get the child's opinion on everything and let the child be included on even like what kind of punishments they should have, right? And this doesn't work. It alarms these kids. Children can also become this way. Uh, they can become alpha by defense. So they become defended against our care because they believe for some reason they are not safe with us. They basically just shut down because they don't believe they can depend on us. They don't lean into us. They don't look to us as their compass point. They will not follow us. And why is that? Either we could have been, this will happen in uh, abusive homes where parents are abusive, even mildly abusive to authoritarian, not um, like violating the child's dignity. But it can also happen when the child is peer-oriented. So th this happens when, so peer orientation, which could also be another show of its own. Peer orientation is when the child stops taking his cues from his parents about what is good, beautiful, and true. He stops looking to his parents as his compass point for the direction he should go. And he looks to his peers. Friends are okay, and actually being attached to a peer is okay, but being, but being peer-oriented is different. It's the peer becomes your compass point. And peers can never keep you safe. Peers by nature are, I mean, they're immature. They're, it's not their job to make your child feel safe and comfortable and emotionally whole. They are, it's impossible. So the child will naturally be emotionally defended and they will not follow your lead because they care much more about what their peer is saying than about what you are saying. Okay, so when a kid is being bossy and demanding, screaming um, when he doesn't get what he wants, I guess it's true that the child may have learned uh, to do it because he got what he wanted before when he did it. But no healthy child actually wants to do this. No a healthy child wants to do this. Healthy children want to be led and cared for.
by the parent. So Sunderland gives several tips for dealing with these little neuro tantrums. And she says many things that I agree with entirely, that we have to create clear rules and boundaries, let your no mean no, and use humor to de-escalate the tantrum. I agree with these. But because she thinks little neuro tantrums are learned behaviors, she advises parents to just walk out of the room, not engage with the child, or to put the child in a timeout. And the, the, the problem, um, so I understand why she's, because she thinks it's a, uh, they're being rewarded by uh, their behavior and you don't want to reward them. That's why she's recommending this. But if the child is, is, has an alpha complex, withdrawing our invitation to our child to be in our presence, you know, basically saying, go away from me, I don't want to be with you right now. It will set off the alarm bells even more if they're if they're alpha by default, and if they are peer oriented, they they don't care anyway. <laughs> so it, they'll think, "Good, I don't want to really be around you anyway," and it's just going to actually make it worse. So, what to do? What do you do if that if this is an alpha tantrum? So, I'm going to call it an alpha tantrum. If this little neuro tantrum is an alpha tantrum. These are not my tips. These are Gordon, Elf, Nor, Gordon Neufeld's tips for alpha children in general. Not alpha children. Not all alpha children have controlling crazy tantrums. I've adapted these for our purposes. My first tip, convey a strong caretaking presence with your child. Convey a strong caretaking presence. Set your boundaries and say, no, you will get a tantrum. But if you stay in control, it's okay. Ba and balance your nose with warmth. Many of us, you know, had a lot of nose in our life, but it was not balanced with warmth. It was basically, you know, suck it up, kid. Um, so we want to empathize that I know you're disappointed that you can't go to your friend's house, or I know you're disappointed that you can't buy that video game. I can see it's, it's, it, it feels bad. I'm right here. I'm on your side. Just reassure your child that you understand, but stick with your no. You keep your cool, because if you freak out, you are no longer in charge. You are no longer in the alpha position. Your kid will know you, though your child will feel like you can't handle him, because now you're freaked out too. He'll think he's too much for you to handle, and he'll move into the control tower, and he'll be the parent again. My second tip is in between alpha battles, Create and preserve connection with your child. Be the answer to your child's attachment needs. Remember the six attachment needs. Physical proximity, sameness, we're the same. You belong with me, belonging, significant. He's, he's important to you that no matter what, even when he has the tantrum, he's your kid and, you know, say, you know, I'm still your mom, even though, you know, you're upset. Um, and definitely love like collect his, you know, show him how much you love him and, um, you know, make him feel safe in sharing his feelings, right? That's being known, the six attachment needs. One tip that um, is very helpful is create scenarios of dependence. Create scenarios of de dependence. So if you, you're a hiker, take your, your child out on a hike, um, on a long hike where he 
feels like he needs to lean on you to get where he needs to go. If there's a skill he wants to learn, like, you know, building um, a, a cabinet, or if your child wants to learn to sew, try to build in these natural scenarios where he, he or she um, depends on you. So you're nurturing the, um, uh, the child's uh, dependency dependence on you and be safe be a safe person to depend on don't don't use his dependence upon you as a weapon so that's why i have a problem with the timeout thing in this situation is you're using you barely get him to depend on you and it's like no you're doing what i don't you're not doing what i want get away from me so make it make it safe to depend on you and never treat your child as an equal you are the parent so he has an equal right to dignity, but you are the parent and you are in the lead and you are going to take him where he needs to go. Just find that place within yourself. It's less about what you do and more about who you believe you are. You are the answer. You are the your child's best bet for making it. You have to believe that within yourself and then you'll find it. You'll find a strength, a stance, and your child will follow you. I really believe that. I really believe that your child will come back to you if he has an F, you know, if he's very alpha, because it's, it's just an instinct. He wants to follow you. It goes without saying that um, these tantrums, whether they're just little, we, whether we want to call them little neuro tantrums or alpha tantrums, they are not socially acceptable. And they are not good for our child's moral development. I recognize that. Being bossy, controlling, basically miserable to be around, it's not okay. It's not okay. But before, I guess my big point is that before we get to our lessons in virtue with these children, we need to ensure our child is following our lead. If he thinks he's in charge, he won't care what we say anyway. Do you see what I'm saying? We need to put the, we need to make sure we're not putting the cart before the horse. Bottom line, for the controlling alpha kid, well, we have work to do. We have work to do. It'll take a lot of patience and faith to take the lead again in the relationship, but he will always come back to you. I think I should do more shows on this topic because, you know, now that I've learned about it, I see it everywhere. I see it. Every I'm a language arts teacher, and I see now that some of the kids in my classes, the reason they have behavior problems is they can't, they don't take the lead of the adult in charge of them. They're taking their cues from their their peers. But when the re if the relationship is right between you and your child, if they're if they're just having one of the distress distress tantrums, you know what to do. Just work on protecting the relationship while you're shepherding your child toward virtue and maturity. Because we all move in and out of that place where we're in control, right? We're in control of how we ex like we get upset, and when we're um, in a good place, we can kind of moderate our. Um, behavior but sometimes we move into a place where it's harder and for our kids um you know who are in the early elementary years or even in the teen years they're really just getting the hang of this whole the integration they're practicing but they're going to have setbacks as do we all so we don't excuse the behavior but we use the setbacks as more opportunities to mentor our children and growing as a disciple of Christ. 
wow, okay, I covered a lot today and I went over, I try to stick to 20 minutes. Um, I went over time. If I could send you away with one message, it would be have confidence that you can handle the tantrums because if you're confident, your kids will feel will get over it more quickly. Children have chaotic emotions, but remember that God's love for you and your child is constant. He sustains you every moment, even in the hard chaotic ones. That is it for today. You can read show notes for this podcast on my website, intentionalcatholicparenting.com. There you'll find articles, links to research on parenting and child development. You'll also find links to connect with me and other parents like you on social media. My author's website is live now, kimcameronsmith.com. Check it out. I have updates about when my book comes out. It'll come out in the fall from Our Sunday Visitor. Pray for me as I will for you. God bless. Mm -hmm.